Are you ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> got your earbuds? Yeah, I got them in, so should be good to go. So I gotta ask you, because the podcast is called Behind the Wheel, are you always behind the wheel? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. So living in Baltimore, in the inner city, I was present when the Freddie Gray riots occurred. Baltimore was actually the first city in America to come up with a essentially legal way to ban African Americans' property ownership within white residential areas. Nation is a two-sided marketplace where we introduce artisanal and emerging uh, brands, mainly snack brands, to consumers at key moments where they're most engaged. Hi, I'm Derek, and this is Behind the Wheel, a show dedicated to highlighting the accomplishments of ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things within the community. Check us out on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcast. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Oxley, and today's episode is brought to you by the folks at the Creative Running Collection, an eclectic ensemble of artists from all walks of life and disciplines. I mean, we're talking established to wannabe writers, actors, directors, artists, bloggers, vloggers, videographers, podcasters, journalists, producers, and editors who are passionate about creating content for running and entertainment purposes. Still, but more importantly, they inspire people to pursue a healthy lifestyle by helping them identify their purpose, maximize their potential accelerate their growth and continuing the cycle in other words they help people i mac their life so if you've got some hidden talent and you're looking for a safe place to express own and display your talent shoot them an email at the behind the wheel morning show at gmail.com if you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or know of an entrepreneur, a small business owner, looking to advertise on the Behind the Wheel podcast, but weren't certain as to whether or not there was a possibility, we have eliminated all the guesswork. It certainly is a reality. Who's this we you're talking about? You know it's just you. I'm not going to go with we. We now have, we going with we? I think we're going to go with we. Let's try it. We now have the ability for you to sponsor an episode. How cool is that? Your ad can run pre, mid, or post roll. Simply visit coffee.com forward slash BTW podcast. The details will be in the show notes. That's ko com forward slash BTW podcast. And one of the cool things about coffee.com is it allows supporters of the show to buy me a cup of coffee. You all know I like coffee. So... Shout out to Latoya Shante, Soul Inspired, Kimberly Hall, and Kim Isaiah. That's why I'm all hyped up on this coffee. My goal is to become the first African-American woman to earn a pro card in triathlon. trained really hard all winter and I showed up at Ironman 70.3 Texas really fit and wanting to start my season off with a bang. I was hoping that Texas was going to be a great lead up to Ironman 70.3 Eagle Man. I had had an awesome race there last year. I missed getting my pro card by about 10 minutes and my coach and I felt pretty confident that we could get my fitness there. Unfortunately, I had a horrific crash, um, which landed me in the ER. The crash was pretty bad. I broke my nose, had about 40 stitches to my face. I 
couldn't eat solid food for a month and it took a while for me to recover. My first thought was, I'm done. This is not worth it. It was really hard for me to accept that it had happened to me. And I did wonder briefly if it was worth it, but then just as quickly it went away and I wanted to continue on. I don't feel ready to give up yet. Hello, Sika. Hi. I'm Dave. I've always dreamt of meeting you, but not oh. looking like this. You're on the up and up and obviously very dedicated to getting your pro card, which is admirable. When Dave Scott heard about my accident and wanted to help, I was thrilled. I mean, how many times does a six-time Ironman world champion have, you know, interest in your story? It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's amazing. You know that saying, when you have nothing to lose, you have everything to gain. That's how I feel now after my crash. Ultimately, my one major goal is still the same and that crash didn't change it. I still wanna be the first African-American woman to earn a pro card. I'm really frustrated that I'm not gonna be the same athlete I was. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Wheel. I'm your host, Derek Oxley, and today we have a very special guest. She is originally from Mount Clare, New Jersey. They were recently in the news. Now, yeah. residing, <laughs> now residing in Newport News, Virginia, she is a woman on the move to become the first African-American female pro triathlete. Give it up for none other than Sika Henry. How are you doing today, Sika? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm I'm loving that Hoka Hoka shirt. Yeah, I, I was uh I was trying to stay cool when I when I yeah. come and sit behind the wheel here. I mean, now I'm in the shade, but yeah, um, it gets a little it gets a little warm here. Yeah, I uh, had a I had a track workout on my lunch break earlier, and I was questioning why I do this stuff. It's so hot out here. Yeah, what's the temperature like there? Uh, it's usually um, high eighties, nineties. Humidity is pretty bad, so uh, usually um, on the weekends I get up super early to ride, like six a.m. because it just gets so hot out here. Mm. So for those people who may not be familiar with you, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, how you got started on this road to endurance sports? Sure. So I grew up swimming. Um, mm -hmm. I swam competitively all four years of high school and I got a bit burnt out and I was in gym class in high school my senior year one day and uh, the track coach was there. He saw me playing basketball or something and he's like, oh, you've got some hops you can leap pretty high you should try out for the track team and I'm like I don't know it's my senior year of high school but sure why not and I ended up trying the high jump and it came really natural and okay. I got into I got into college already at that point so I reached out to the Tufts University coach and I walked onto the team and I did track and field all four years of college so yeah I was primarily a high jumper I went to NCAAs and all that stuff and um yeah, I didn't even like running a mile, though. <laughs> no? 
<laughs> no, I did not like distance. Like I, I remember like once a week or every other week, she'd try to have me run like three miles and I was not having it. I was, I didn't like it. But, um, after college, I moved down back down South because I went to college up in, in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working in the financial industry. I had majored in economics and I was working for JP Morgan and just like working crazy hours, getting out of shape, not working out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the New York City, the New York City Marathon's huge and, you know, people were running in Central Park and stuff. So I was like, all right, you know, why don't I try signing up for a 5K and jogging? And, you know, before you knew it, I was running a marathon. Mm. Yep. When was your first marathon? Oh, God, I don't even want to talk about it. It was the Atlantic City Marathon. That was my first one in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I had never even done a half marathon before. I went in totally unprepared. By mile 17, I was puking all over the place, walking. I saw um, a spectator. She had a cell phone, and I asked if I could use it, like, in the middle of the race. (laughs) And I called my best friend, and she was there. And I wanted her to pick me up just to take me home, but she didn't answer. So I finished my first marathon. Um, I somehow got under four hours, but it was ugly. It was really ugly. Mm. Well, I guess people wouldn't mind getting under four hours on their first marathon. (laughs) I think when when I did my, it was like five hours and these two guys who um who talked me into it, mm-hmm. Sean and Miguel. By the time I finished up, I was it was like five hours and some change. I got back to the car, several yeah. messages. They had already finished, were home shopping, <laughs> showered, going yeah. along with their day, and I'm still out on the course. I stopped listening to the messages <laughs> and just went home. So yeah. that was that was a great time. So then, so Thank you you. Tra- you you transition from the marathon and then leap into. What what led you into um, um well okay so so the marathoning got better for me okay. um in two I waited a few years before I tried another one this time I actually prepared for it I did twenty mile runs and stuff like that um and I did half marathons leading into it and my second one I actually won it so it was okay. out okay. here in Virginia it was 2015 yeah I dropped like. 50 minutes or something. Um, so yeah, I surprised myself and won that one. And then in 2016, actually no, 2015 also, mm-hmm. I joined NBMA, the National Black Marathoners Association. Tony convinced me to fly out and do the Dallas Marathon. Okay. And it was on my birthday. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh, I don't know. It's really hilly out there and warm and it was it was a struggle, but it was good. I came. I was the fourth woman at that one at that race, and then I kept doing marathons, and I got better and better. So I got faster, and then um, yeah, I also my bucket list was to do a triathlon because you know I have a swim background. Um, you know, biking's pretty easy to pick up, and then mm-hmm. with running. Um, and then I found also that like with all the mileage, I was dealing with little nagging injuries and stuff like that. So there was a local sprint triathlon, um, right near Hampton university out here. Okay. And I didn't own a bike. So I went to Dick's and I bought a mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a bathing suit, like a speedo and some goggles. And yeah, I just showed up to that race and, uh, yeah, I like, I came in last place or something, but it was so much fun. I really, really loved it. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I fell in love with the sport. Wow. I, I can't, uh, so a mountain bike, well, I guess it's not the bike. I guess it's the, well, like the bike has something to do with it, but I, I'm pretty sure the, the engine, um, the person riding the bike, you know, yeah. 
is a contributing fact. How tall are you? I'm tall. I'm five ten. Five ten. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You said hops. I'm like, you when you said hops, I'm thinking, well, you're on the basketball court. What? What? What was he thinking? High jump. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think he said something like run and try to touch the uh, the net, and I think mm-hmm. I touched the rim. And okay. He's like, come out you gotta come out <laughs> you gotta come out okay so he saw something in you so where do you where do you get this competitive drive from uh probably my dad's side um my grandfather actually was a crazy good long jumper and he ran the 100 yard dash in under 10 seconds 10 seconds mm. yeah a uh, really good football player in fact he would have been able to play in the nfl had it not been for segregation back then so um I would say a lot of that comes from my dad's side. My dad, he's almost 70 and he's a third degree black belt in karate and does jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so my dad's side's pretty. They've got a lot of talent, which is funny though because they're all like fast twitch fiber, short speed stuff and Mm -hmm. I'm doing Ironman, so. Long and strong. Mm -mm. Yeah. So now your, your grandfather was a musician also, right? Yes. Yep. He's played on hundreds of tracks, basically anybody from the 50s, 60s you can think of. Um, he was uh, uh, mostly known for the sax. He was an amazing sax player. Um, he's played with Erskine Hawkins and, um, you know, he's been on so many records. Like I listen, I watch old movies back in the day and my dad's like, oh, that's your grandfather playing in the background, that music. Wow. Just, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's got to be an incredible feeling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he's been uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, down in Alabama. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Do you play an instrument? No. <laughs> I tried. I played the flute growing up, and mm-hmm. my parents did have me in piano lessons, but I showed no skills whatsoever. My dad's actually a really great piano player, but I lacked those skills. So they started you uh, in the pool quite early. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Learning how to swim has always been a really big thing for my family. Um, we had a, I grew up with a big pool in my backyard, so mm-hmm. it was important that I know how to swim. My friends who would come over, it was important that they know how to swim. Yeah. And I'm grateful now because I'm doing triathlon, right? And so many people struggle getting into the sport because they lack the basic swim skills. Yeah. Well, we all can't be, you know, minnows. <laughs> I guess it would be important to <laughs> I can swim, like I swim, but I'm in races when I do triathlons, I'm usually like one of the last out of the water. So I am, I can't brag about my swimming skills. Mm. But so at some point you, you, you started, you're, you're, you're doing triathlons and then you said, well, I want to, where do you get this? Well, I want to continue to improve. Where where does that come from? This drive and desire to I don't know. I I think most people have it inside them, right? Like so many of us get hooked on marathons and stuff because we want to see if we can keep getting better. And there's something addictive about placing and getting PRs and um, just wanting to see how much faster you can get. So I, I don't think I'm any different than anybody else, I guess. Um, maybe I'm a little more intense <laughs> about mm-hmm. it. Um, I can definitely drive myself into a hole, like feel like I'm dying in a race, but still keep going and going. So just, 
I guess, kind of manifested from there. And then I guess I'm also driven by, you know, like there's such a lack of diversity, especially with like African-Americans in, you know, the long endurance stuff like triathlons and mm-hmm. you know, half Ironmans and Ironmans and stuff like that. So um, when I saw that there had never been a female African-American professional triathlete before, and I was seeing how well I was placing at these Ironman events and stuff, I'm like, oh, well, maybe I could possibly be the first. So mm-hmm. in the back of my mind, that's been kind of driving me. So even after, so tell us, you know, lead us up to the, um, to the accident. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. There's no getting around the accident. Um, all right. So 2018, I made a a significant improvements. I had gotten a new coach. Um, he coaches a lot of the top triathletes in the world Mm -hmm. and I got on this whole new program with him and my time started dropping a lot. I started placing like I did Ironman 70.3 Atlantic city at the end of 2018. I want to say it came in eighth or seventh or something at that race. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you need to be top three overall amateur to earn your pro card. So I was like, all right, next year, you know, like I'll train through the winter and I'll be in good enough shape to get my pro card. So my first crack at it last year was in April at Ironman 70.3 Texas. Um, unfortunately that race ended up being a age group start. So it's not based on how fast you are. They place you, um, in where you start the time you start in the race is dependent on your age. Unfortunately, I was put in one of the last heats. So there's like, you know, thousand competitors and I'm trying to get a pro card and I get out the water, get on the bike course. There's people everywhere, like new people trying to do their first half Ironman. They're on their mountain bike swerving. They're not totally familiar with the rules and stuff. Kind of like where I was when I did my first one, right? Like, so you ride on the right, you pass on the left, but when you're new, you're still learning these things. So I'm going like over 25 mile per hour on my bike and I'm riding on the left. I'm Fortunately, one of the competitors in front of me didn't look and they crossed right into my line. Um, I avoided them, but I hit uh, like a barricade in the middle of the road and it sent me flying straight into the pavement, crashed right in my head. I was completely knocked unconscious. Um, I don't have very many memories of it. Um, I just remember kind of waking up in the ER uh, and I was told I had a broken nose. I, you know, my face was completely lacerated and stitched back together. My teeth were loose. I couldn't turn my head. I thought I had been in a car accident, actually. Mm. I didn't even think, I thought I, you know, was driving back from the race back to the hotel or something. So I thought I had been in a car accident, but it was from the bike and it was pretty awful. It was really traumatic. Um, I had to get a Splint put in my mouth. I couldn't eat solid food for like a month. I briefly lived with my my parents because mm-hmm. I couldn't really take care of myself. I had to have all sorts of oral surgeries. So it was really tough. Yeah, not mm-hmm. something I wish even on my enemy. So what 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 um kept you going through the um the recovery period? What were there any any insights? Uh, well, when I first saw what I looked like, I was like, I'm done. I'm never doing this shit again. (laughs) 
I'm like, I'm done. I can't believe I look like this. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. I mean, my, you've seen the pictures. I've made them public on yes. my blog. So, I mean, I was just destroyed. So that was my first thought. But then I want to say two days later, my dad came in the room and he was talking to me and he was like, what if I told you if you came back and you decided to give this another try that you would earn your pro card? And mm-hmm. I didn't hesitate. My immediate gut reaction was, oh yeah, I would definitely come back and do it. So I talked to one of my friends, Michael Reed, and he was doing Ironman 70.3 Augusta, which was in September. So it would have been five months after my crash. And he mm-hmm. was like, you know, come down, do this race with me. I'll use my points and you can stay in the, you know, this nice hotel and all this stuff. So I registered for the race. And I just told myself, like, if I can get healthy and fit enough, even if I have to like doggy paddle the swim and, you know, kind of cycle the the bike and then walk the run, like as long as I get to that finish line, I'm doing Mm -hmm. Ironman 70.3 Augusta. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that kept me going, getting through, you know, going through all the um, rehab and the training and getting back into it. Wow. So you're on the quest for, um, for 2020. And then um, COVID the comes crash. around, yeah. <laughs> the crash, and then COVID comes, and it's like, yo. Oh, well, you know, between backing up, so two months after my crash, I did actually race. Um, okay. I was still kind of bandaged up and everything, but I just really needed to just get that one race over so that it wasn't hanging over me. So I went up to the D.C. area with my mom, and I did a sprint triathlon, mm-hmm. and I actually won it for the women. So that gave me a lot of confidence that I still had it in me. Um, and then I did do Augusta. Um, I missed earning my pro card by like three minutes or something. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, and then I did, uh, the Ironman world championships in Kona, Hawaii, uh, Kona, Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, two weeks after that race. So yeah, I just kind of made so it all where, together. Where in between it did you meet, um, David Scott? Oh, gosh, that was three months after my crash. I flew out to Boulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long, how long were you there? I was only there a few days training with him. Um, we mostly worked on my bike skills just to get comfortable. It was scary, though, because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still, like, traumatic. I, I had, like, PTSD. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he's, like, trying to show me how to climb and get out of the saddle and do all of these things. But it was so cool to be with, you know, six-time Ironman World Championship winner. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be, that's gotta be incredible. Uh, yeah. I remember once my, my, my parents, I didn't have a bike growing up. So my parents took me to stay on the block One of my friends had a bike. So I got on their bike. First time I'm, you know, really riding this bike did not have brakes. So I put my foot, they told me you need to stop, put your foot in the front wheel, slow it down. I'm coming from prospect park on Bedford Avenue. So it's, it's a descent. I'm uh-huh. flying. Now I'm coming to the intersection. I'm like, okay, how do I do these brakes again? Oh, there are no brakes. I got to put my foot in the front wheel. So I go flying over the handlebars, crash, scrape off half my face, crack my front tooth. And now I've got to explain to my parents, like, what happened? Because I wasn't supposed to be off the block. So it's like, so this this whole idea, but I, I don't know how fast I was going. And it wasn't on a... um. It wasn't obviously it wasn't on a uh, triathlon bike. Triathlon yeah, time, bike. No. Tri- time trial. Yeah. No, that's yeah. that's gotta be. But it's it was just 
the whole, what happened? I'm up in the air and then I'm down on the concrete waking up and like, oh my God, this is, this right. is not good. Right. Uh, so I see, I noticed that he made a couple, just, it was just making a couple of tweaks. So it wasn't like there were major things that he was um, going through, Dave Scott, while, while he was with you, just making some minor adjustments. And did you? It, did yeah. You Exactly, but they made a huge difference. Um, mm -hmm. Like just the tilt of my saddle, it was pointed really far down and I was leaning a little too far forward and I was actually kind of going numb, like in my wrist to arms areas. Mm -hmm. um, so just having that little tweak helped a lot on the bike. With running, I have a habit of, and I didn't really notice this, when I get fatigued, I start kind of like getting tight and hunching mm -hmm. my shoulders over. So, you know, he was trying to tell me to remember to relax. Um, so I've taken that with me. Like even in Kona, I was thinking, you know, as I was getting more and more fatigued, I'm like, relax my shoulders, relax my hands, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So yeah, it's so, just really little stuff. So the, you said open your hands and that will, uh, that will supposedly uh, help you uh, relax? Yeah, just not that that does, but thinking about something that simple. So like with me, as the race goes on, I start getting really tense, right? Like okay. my hands start falling. He had watched videos of me running before. So he saw that, like my hands would, my uh, fists would clench. So he's like, just think about relaxing them. Even open your hands if you need to. And then mm -hmm. that just, you know, kind of triggers it. Like trying to get you to relax. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've witnessed, um, so from time to time, I, we have a, a, a bike shop up here and it's a cafe. I know the owners. Um, so one of the, uh, she, she's like one of the best uh, bike fitters in, in the nation. People come from all over the country to come to this shop in, in Stanford. And so they've got yeah. this, this device. I'm like, yo, this, this sport is like really intense. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what, I, I guess it could be cost prohibitive for some people to get involved with it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's definitely one of the most expensive sports out there. I want to say the median income, USA Triathlon did a, um, I guess a survey and the median income for a triathlete, is something like $120,000. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a huge barrier to, I would say being competitive in the sport. You can definitely do the sport on a budget, you know, you don't have to look, I did my first one on a mountain bike and in a speedo. And, you know, I mean, of course now I race, I have a wetsuit on if the water's cold and mm -hmm. I have this, you know, like 10 grand special bike and all that stuff, but you can still do a sprint, which is affordable, um, you know, on a mountain bike and stuff like that. But yeah, I would say as you get more competitive and you're trying mm -hmm. to like buy speed, it gets super costly. Yeah, that's what I was noticing. Just, just the, this device, she was telling me how much it costs just for them to sit and people appointments to come in and, and, mm -hmm. and get fitted. And mm -hmm. yep. I just go on for the coffee. So yeah. <laughs> it's a nice little setup. You know, they got, they got yeah. the, a lot of eye candy around. I'll get a coffee and, and you know, bulletproof yeah. coffee and, and keep it moving. Um, gotcha. The fear. So you, 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 you get into these, um, you've been doing these speaking engagements all over the country. And so you've talked at events with triathletes there. And then you said, but you, the, the, the scariest group of people to, to talk in front of were um, young people. 
Uh, do they element, have elementary, element, <laughs> elementary school kids? Oh my what? God, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> a tough crowd or is it just, um, uh, I think you, okay. So these kids were in elementary school. So they're like, you know, tiny, tiny. And I had prepared this whole, you know, speech about, cause this is in the inner cities. So these are like title one schools. Um, and these kids have been through trauma and all this other stuff. Um, and, you know, I was mostly talking about my crash and everything, but, you know, you use words. If you, if I'm speaking to you, I can, you know, say things about diversity and inclusion and Ironmans and stuff like that. These kids don't know what an Ironman <laughs> is. They don't know how many miles are in a marathon. You're trying to explain a 10K and they're like, what is that? So, uh, you know, as they're coming into the auditorium and there's like a hundred of them or more, um, I actually I think there were more. I'm seeing how small they are. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to completely change how I speak to them so that they can understand what it is that I'm talking about. Um, and then, you know, like they have short attention span and, you know, you want to make sure that they're engaged and interested and stuff like that. But they were actually really well behaved. They liked the crash pictures. When I put the crash pictures up, they were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. They told me about their little boo-boos from when they fell off the bike. And mm -hmm. um, and as I did it more, it got uh, easier. I learned how to, like I, the next time I did it, I brought in my time trial bike so that they could see what it looked like. Oh, okay. And my helmet and the importance of wearing a helmet. And, you know, so it's like, as you do it more, it gets a little easier. But yeah, that first time I thought I was going to black out up there. Oh my God. Kids, kids are a rough audience. <laughs> so. so when I think about you in terms of going through your pro card and we think about representation and why it's so important. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have people who are doing different things to help open up the sport, help open up the divert, increase the diversity within the sport. Right. Um, so there is a, there's a, a, a sister who just, um, she put out a, 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 a children's book. Mm, yes. Mm -hmm. It might be a good tool. I mean, what next time you do this. Oh, I was so excited when, she, when I saw that. I'm like, where was this? Number one, where was that book when I was a kid? It's coming awesome. up, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's just, a good uh, good giveaway at the next one. I usually do. Hoka's been great about giving me stuff to like raffle off to the kids and everything. Mm -hmm. So that that'll be a good one. Yeah, I think it's yeah. important. Um, at some point, I'm going to learn some. I have a friend up here. Uh, Nancy's been trying to get go to the Y. You know, get your, your membership. And so, does this Y? And it's because it's right down the block for me. Yeah. But it doesn't have. Um, it didn't have a track. So I would go to the other one that's in Meriden. Um, uh huh. But she's like, you go to the pool. You know, they have lessons. And oh, you don't know how to swim? So my bucket, I know how to swim, but I couldn't do miles. Okay. You know what I mean? I, I, okay. So it would be, you take lessons or whatever. I, I, I know anything I put my mind to, you know, I pretty much would be able to accomplish. So I don't, it's not on my, it's on my bucket list to do a triathlon before I depart. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, but okay. I'm not, um... I'm not there yet, so I'm not. I'm not thinking about taking lessons or anything. So, how has COVID impacted your your training? Uh, so I have been training all winter, and then I was supposed to fly out to Mexico, Cancun, in April. I thought I had a pretty good shot at. I was supposed to do a half Ironman. I thought I had a good shot at just getting my pro card there, and. I guess three weeks before the race, they sent out uh, emails saying that they were pushing it into October. And, you know, just like everybody else, everything either got canceled or pushed to later in the year or next year. So um, 
I had pushed myself pretty hard after my crash to come back. Um, so I was still dealing with behind the scenes, a lot of like niggling injuries and stuff like that. So once COVID hit, my coach was like, let's just take weeks off. Like, don't do anything. Just let your body heal. Um, so I just focused on work and stuff. Um, in some ways, I think it might've been not that COVID is a blessing, but the downtime was a blessing in disguise for me. Like I really needed that break. So I can't say I was complaining about not being able to swim and stuff. Um, now it's a little frustrating because I am Ready getting back. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're training to, like I told you earlier today, I was running, you know, doing repeats at the track. And, you know, last weekend I rode 50 miles and then ran 12 miles the next day. So it's like, what am I doing all this training for? It's, it's good. Like for me, it's not hard to exercise, but to train at this level for no race in the future, it's hard. So when you, what was the answer that when you asked yourself that question, what am I doing all this training for? What? Oh, uh, just in case. Just <laughs> yeah. And like, well, what if in September? I'm, I'm thinking it was, you know, I stopped. There was this pregnant pause. I'm waiting for this profound answer just in case. You know, I know the, the clouds opened <laughs> like, and there was a sign. No. A sign said, you know, any yeah. day now. But just in case, yeah. I'll be ready. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, Sika, thank you so very much for being on the show. I certainly do appreciate it. Um, yeah. When is the next race um, scheduled for you? Uh, supposedly September, but September? to be honest with you, I don't see that happening. Push uh, that my, back. Yeah, my Mexico race is supposed to be in October, but I wouldn't fly international internationally anywhere right now so gotcha. yeah yeah so i'll just keep training in case and then we'll see i guess just keep eyeing 2021 all right so where can folks find you if they want to follow you if they aren't already doing so uh sure so i am on instagram i post most often on there i'm sika s-i-k-a henry h-e-n-r-y um, in my website, SikaHenry.com and all my social media links are there. I'm on Facebook. I do have my blog, but, um, yeah. Why I run. Why I run. Yep.blogspot.com. But if you go to my website, there's a link to, to everything. All to, everything. My, to everything. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Last question before I go. Have you, have, yeah. do you have the, uh, the carbon plate focus? Uh, yes. I love them. Okay. First yeah. one or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I have all of them. So Hoka is a big uh, support sponsor of mine. So mm -hmm. I have like, even when they're in the midst of creating sneakers, they send them out. So I'm kind of lucky that I get to experiment with everything, but um, I don't know if it's available on their website right now, but the Rocket X, mm -hmm. I actually find even better than the Cardin X. Really? You can get mm. your hands on those, yeah. The, yeah, the I'll, I'll, I'll have to make a note of that. I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm on the wagon or off the wagon, but I'm a sneakerholic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned something on your blog, and, and it sounded like a plug. You know, I was, I was feeling a little fatigued, and then I pulled over and I got my S fuse, and then I was like, okay, <laughs> sounded like a commercial. <laughs> I was chasing, I was chasing, was it Kathy? 
Was it Catherine? Oh, yes. Oh, that was the last race I did. Yeah. Oh gosh, that race was painful. I I was training for uh, Challenge Cancun, that half Ironman. So my coach thought it was a great idea that the day before the half marathon, I do this like absolutely ridiculous bike workout. So my legs are just just crap, um, and I had to do the half marathon the next day. So I was trying to. I, in my mind, I thought I could hold maybe 630s. Well, 640s was torture. And yet there was a, a fluid station and my bottle of S-Fuels nutrition was on there. So that kind of like surged me. Gave me some yeah, I'm like, what? I, I see, I'm saying S-Fuels, what is that? Like, what, yeah. what is this S-Fuels? Is this <laughs> this commercial? Like, electrolytes, nutrition, oh. no carbs. Yep, I mix it with water and that's the, the drink I use. That's the secret sauce, huh? Yep. Mm-mm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And, thank you, uh, you too. We look forward to uh, being able to say, hey, Sika Henry, first female pro African American triathlete. Yes. All right. Awesome. Take care now. Thanks. You too. Running Nation, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Wheel. Certainly do appreciate and value our listeners. I mean, when you talk about overcoming adversity, or rebounding after a tragedy. I was curious to, to see when I saw the, the pictures initially, it was like, it was shocking. Uh, and then to hear and watch the recovery, it has been an incredible journey. And so if you thought, you know, you, you might have been confronted, life punched you in the face, or you find yourself, you know, face down on the concrete and wondering, how do I pick up the pieces and continue to go? Check out her inspiring story. And it is going to be a honor and privilege to be able to say I interviewed the first African-American female pro triathlete on my show. That That is, hey, hey what can I tell you? It's going to be it's going to be incredible. I'll be able to point to it and say, hey, she was on behind the wheel. Next up later on this week, we're going to have Ralph Lyons, uh, Dr. Ralph Lyons, Harvard graduate. Uh, he's a member of one of the oldest, the second oldest uh, Roadrunners club in the country. And also another uh, incredible individual, Michael the Dream Chaser, will be on this week as well. And Latoya Snell. Oh my God, I can't wait to release these episodes. So be sure you guys tune in. If you haven't already done so, go to Apple Podcasts. Write a review, rate us, let us know how we're doing. You know, and if you enjoyed this episode, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee. Peace.